Welcome to Ray's Music Reviews. Come along as Ray embarks on a musical journey by deep diving into artists, genres, and albums of his choosing. And now, Ray Reviews. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ray's Music Reviews. Though not necessarily just Ray, we also have... KP. Today we are doing the... The 2011 hip-hop record, hip-hop landmark, Drake's Take Care. Um, Let's find out about Drake. What's going on with Drake? So before, yeah, before we necessarily get into this record, just to give a little preview of the record, or just Drake in general, um, Drake, he starts out as like a teen actor, drops a couple of mixtapes here and there. Eventually, he gets picked up by one Lil Wayne. That that happens. He drops "Thank Me Later," um, which does very well, and then he drops this, which does extremely well. First debuted at number one. First week it sold six hundred thirty-one thousand cells, and now it's six times platinum just yes. in the U.S. I think I wanted to do this record because I just I guess I'm very fascinated by Drake. More so, like his stance in hip hop, a his lot status. of time, and uh, his status, yeah, because he's one of the best-selling names. Absolutely, like if if you say in a conversation about hip hop, you can't really not talk about Drake, right? Right, but it's not always positive. But he's no, it's not. It, when you talk about Drake, like he's one of the best-selling names, he's one of the most popular names, but he's rarely held up. Well, he's he's not necessarily as respected as uh, a Nas or even like a Kendrick Lamar uh, who, who at this point was his contemporary. Right. You know? And If you list top 10 rappers of all time, he's not there. If you list top 20, most people don't put him there. But sales-wise, he's way ahead of most of them. Yeah. Almost any of them. I guess that's kind of changing a little bit because uh, there, there was recently uh, I believe there was a Rolling Stone list and they had him at like 8 or oh, something. okay. and I think I would not call Drake a top 10 I, he wouldn't be in my personal top 10 but I completely, I understand like the influence that he's had, the um, his general presence as a figure in hip hop at this point he's almost omnipresent Yes. He releases material. Like on the record, he says something about I took my time, mm-hmm. about this record coming out, and you know where have I been, I took my time, that kind of thing, and, and on the record. Now it feels like he doesn't. Like he's constantly on somebody's yeah. stuff or, on his, or putting something out on his own or, or whatever. I, I think you're right as far as the we don't view him like we do the Founding Fathers or that next generation or even a Q-tip or whatever. Or even on Andre. Mm-hmm. And yet, the sales are there, and he did change a, the lot, landscape. a lot of the ways that we hear rappers, the way we hear hip-hop, and content as well, right? Correct. Um, one thing I wanted to say about the content is that I feel like a lot of the disrespect that Drake got kind of around this time... Uh, was mostly from kind of a place of bad faith, almost. It was right. kind of the same thing, you know, when, like, Andre started singing on his stuff. Or, um, 
people would say he was people would say he was homosexual. People would say he was feminine. He's people feminine. would say like anything the, they could. The, the, they would hit on the tropes. Absolutely, of, of Drake, uh, the type of this Drake, non-masculinity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and even to this day, I, I think a lot of it still kind of follows Drake a little bit because because you'll still see stuff like that on the internet when there's a post made about Drake. And I think most of that is, of course, because he sang, but also because a lot of his music kind of ventured into a more emotionally vulnerable state in hip-hop. Right. Kind of. He admits uh, insecurities. He He admits to blowing... He admits to blatantly lying about his status prior to having the status, but he doesn't do that, of course, until after he's achieved yeah. what he wanted to be. He admits to uh, the way he addresses women is not as forceful as some. Not there's as more, there's, objectifying. There's more of a, if you can understand who I am, then we can move yes. forward. Part of it is the whole... I don't want to settle down, but if it's cool with you, yeah, you know. But we need to know where we are. There's not as much sometimes in any form of uh, aggressive music. You can hear men saying what they're going to do to the female. Right. They don't necessarily. They're not going to be able to get over me. I'm all this. I'm all that. I'm all the other. Whereas with Drake, it's more of a. It's more they're talking about themselves and not negotiation equality type of. Right. It feels like anyway. Drake, Drake, a lot of Drake's is coming from the perspective of, like, how she feels and how... Uh, would, would we like to get into this record a little bit? Or just, like, talk about, like, track by track? Let's not, do not, it. Not, not necessarily track by track, but just point out tracks that kind of uh, stood out to us. I'm pretty sure the first song I heard off of this was probably Headlines. Okay. I imagine so. Right? Wouldn't you say that for you? Mmm... Man, I cannot remember the first thing I heard. I know the first thing that I heard that people made a big deal out of felt like Marvin's Room. Right. But I do remember, like, Over My Dead Body, I would heard a lot before trying to go through the album with you earlier, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, while we studied for this. Um, But what were you going to say about Headlines? I think it's one of Drake's better and best singles. Um, I think the way... I think Drake's really. I think Drake's really charismatic on it. Um, he, I think he's really charismatic throughout the whole record. The hook is super infectious, and maybe it's also a bit of it could be some nostalgia, right? Because I remember hearing it. Right. I think that a lot of this record kind of hampers on on Drake being really charismatic. A lot of the um, there there's a smoothness. There is. There is, and, and especially like on this track, the hook. You know, the they know, they know, they know. If you listen to the record, you're going to hum that portion of it for the next day and a half. Right. And and that is true on a lot of this record. A lot. This is a catchy record. Oh, man. I I mean, even the title track. Yeah, the title track. That's smooth. That Over My Dead Body, that is smooth the way they say it. uh, Over My Dead Body is one of my favorites from here. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I think... Uh, I, I love the little intro that it has just before Drake comes in. Right. Uh, I think the the whole little thing 
where Drake shows up and he's like, I think I killed everybody in the game last year. Right. Like that, I think. <laughs> Dude, it, the, to me, I don't know where you were going right there, but to me, the way he intros on this song, uh, the way he introduces that, the intro is awesome, but the way he introduces himself with his Absolutely. opening words about basically letting you know I've kind of conquered everything already and I'm only one album in. And this is hot, what's coming at you now. And it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, one of my other favorites, I, I would probably consider, uh, actually, I think, now that I'm thinking of it, Crew Love might be, might have been a bit of a breakout moment for Weekend. Right. Crew Love. Somebody that in a lot of ways right now, people see above yeah. Drake. And part of that is hip-hop in general, uh, not hip-hop, pop music in general, what's right now is what is relevant. Yeah. And Drake's been hot, but he hadn't been hot like The Weeknd's been hot. And maybe Drake's cooled a little bit in recent years compared to what we've gotten from The Weeknd. Yeah. Pretty much before this, from what I knew, Weeknd was just kind of dropping mixtapes. And then, you know, when this came out and they heard Weeknd's voice, I mean, mm -hmm. just, that whole th just that whole thing that he has and the whole... He was off and running. Look, he was... I mean, God, that's... Say, if you've never heard of who The Weeknd is before and that's the first time you hear him, mm -hmm. you know, that's something that, that's going to stick. I don't, is it too early to talk about, you know, The Weeknd on track four, Rihanna on track five, Kendrick Lamar on Buried Alive on seven, Birdman mm -hmm. on nine, Nicki Minaj on ten, you know, Rick Ross. This is Lil Wayne and Andre. Yeah. You know, two guys that are in the top ten. And all of the, everybody did right. You were Absolutely. talking today about how good... HYFR is in the the, yeah. the verse and Lil Wayne good, lays down is so hot, right? Yeah, how crazy, like prime Wayne, how crazy he just like mm -hmm. goes over H H Y F R. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. But he does also it, it's cool because in a way this this album, I wouldn't say it's a concept album, but it kinda but, is. But there are a lot of themes. There are right? themes. You, they, you hear like those little medleys after the end of like there's like there's these little medleys in the middle of stuff. There's the whole um, interludes with like the buried alive, just kind of kind of encompassing the whole record together. It's not a concept record, but it is a record that has themes and has reminiscent kind of things. And he does tell his story. He does. He goes through and tells you, "I got here through the mixtapes. I changed the game in that manner." Wayne discovers me through my mixtapes, and then I get on his. I mattered already a little bit when he found me. Mm-hmm because of what I was doing on the underground stuff, which is Underground Kings and all that. The the whole thing, too, like, early on, to let you know where his status has gotten to. A lot about mm -hmm. who I was in the same song with, mm -hmm. I lost everything I had in the club, and it don't really matter, because I can just go home, I still got it all. Absolutely. Money doesn't matter to him anymore. He's, he's that level. Confident, letting you know who his status of without feeling like he's trying to punch you, without yeah. feeling like he's it's trying very, to hurt you. It's this record is very braggadocious, but it's not necessarily venomous. It's it's still it's still very charismatic. It's still very likable. Right. It's not venomous. Right. Yeah. No. He's not verbally assaulting. Right. In a way that's that would put you off or even make you go, "Ooh, look what he said about that guy." Yeah. He's just letting you know I'm the guy now. Of course, and and to go back to like uh, uh, like individual tracks, I 
I think the title track, I find the title track interesting because when I, when I read into like people talking about this record, it's either their favorite or their least favorite song on the record, right? I can imagine not liking that song. I can. I love that song. Right. It's here. It's it's. It might be my second or first favorite song on here. I love the whole little storyline thing he goes on about how like there's this girl and he and apparently she has a past, but he doesn't care about that, etc. And it's very again. There's an emotional maturity to a lot of this record, and I feel like Take Care in a lot of the ways was kind of the most emotionally mature. Um, and I think Take Care, cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Take Care goes directly into Marvin's room. You are uh, correct, so. Which would probably, that would probably be like my like two-track run. Um, I think Marvin's room is pretty much like the quintessential Drake song. Got a lot um, of guys in trouble. <laughs> Got a lot of guys in trouble. Convinced them it was okay to go after other men's old ladies. Not clever. Frowned upon in most social settings amongst yeah, friends. Yeah, a bit. However. How, I, that is kind of the point, right? It's not, it's right. not even necessary. It's not necessarily something he's proud of, but it is something that is very real mm-hmm. and very vulnerable. Correct. Um, and it's also, there's concern for her. Right. And it's not just you need me. An undercurrent is you can do better. Regardless, it'd be cool if it was me, but it ain't got to be me. Right. That's probably the strongest melody in the record. I think that the whole, the whole beats, I think the beat's great. The 808 is so, like, uh, kind of faded. And it's a little, it's a little druggy. It's like, the 808 really hits you. Mm Mm-hmm. I also quite like how um, it ends, how it, it's, it's, it doesn't necessarily end in a way that's like climactic. It just mm-hmm. ends like this we- with this weird story, <laughs> this weird like throwaway story about like how like this one girl he knows his her white friend said like the n word or something, mm-hmm. and how like oh that's gonna get us in trouble, and that doesn't feel like it doesn't feel climactic mainly because I don't think a song like Marvin's Room would make sense with a climactic feel. It was like it was this really drunk. A uh, call that was just stopped f- for whatever reason. The the title the track being titled Marvin's Room and that being a little bit of a nod and a wink to having recorded it in Marvin Gaye's studio is kind of dope. <laughs> and Marvin Gaye being you know yeah. Anyway, to to your point, and Marvin Gaye being one of the great R and B soul singers in history, Drake kind of. <sighs> He's kind of the bridge between hip hop, rap, pop, R and B, pop. He, you know, there's always been hooks, whether it be Sleepy Brown, whether it be Nate Dogg, whether it be you know whomever Absolutely. singing the hooks, or in case this case you have your Rihanna singing hooks and all that. But him doing his, and you could say it's a crutch in some ways. Maybe that has something to do with the way he's thought of as a rapper. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he will. You know, be in a rhythm and then go into a singing, and it changes both the uh, the patterns, the feel, the entire environment of the song changes when he goes from rap into singing. It, it's mm-hmm. like you said, it's smooth, but it it also 
not a lot of people. I, you know, maybe he wasn't at first, but I don't remember chart-topping success with someone who does it like this. Mm-hmm. And he's not doing vocal gymnastics. No, he's just making it smoother. I mean, yeah, he's got a nice voice. Right, but he ain't Marvin Gaye. No, he's, he's not, not Luther Vandross. He's just singing a couple of notes. But the more important thing is the cadence and the way he'll hold a note to emphasize this or emphasize that. You know what I mean? Right. It's 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 hot. Yeah. Um, especially on this tr- this record here. Yeah, especially especially on Marvin's Marvin's room would probably be my pick. If I were to pick one song from this record, Marvin's Room would be my pick. How did we generally feel about the record? Just like as a whole? I think that once you get me past Make Me Proud, the last parts of it, until we get to you know, these tracks in here, cameras, good ones, doing it wrong. Once you get, until you get to maybe the, the real her, I kind of, not that I quit listening or that it was unpleasurable, but I just drifted off. Right. right. It's a long record. It's, it's a pretty long record. I don't want to necessarily say that it's like bloated because I don't really know what songs I would cut off. Right, that's the problem. You do feel its length by the end of it. Well, it, it, it's hard to keep anybody Interest, like, yeah, interested fully in 15 engaged. tracks, 16 tracks, 17 tracks. Like, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Eventually you drift. Yeah, I feel like that, that would be my general issue with the record, would be that. And that's not really even an issue. It's it's not it's not like a yeah it's not like a huge, big issue. If I were to cite my personal favorite hip hop records, this record wouldn't show up on the list. I do think if you were to argue that one Drake record would be a classic record, it would be this. LP. This would be Drake's classic. This album. would be Drake. This would like be a, Drake's LP. Right. Like when when Drake is no longer making music and he's retired amongst like bars of gold. Right. Uh, this t- this will be the album that. People go back to People unless go back to. he does something different in the future. Yeah. And I wouldn't even necessarily say this would be my favorite project he's done. Uh, or necessarily, I, it's kind of a tie between this and uh, his uh, If You're Reading This mixtape. Do we have any additional thoughts? Man, I think we covered it pretty good, brother. All right. Uh, so, uh, what do we listen to this week? Man, I've, I've discovered a podcast called Bandsplain. And I'm mm. not sure <laughs> if I like it or not, but it took me through many hours of discussing The Clash, and I'm in the midst of learning about Smashing Pumpkins on a level that I had not learned Mm. about before. Now, that being said, the main thing it did is it had me go back and listen to Clash records. It had me go back and listen to Gish. Mm. I listened to, well, we listened to, I thought, The Ride Home, when I put on Speaker Box and Love Below, I'd forgotten how good that was, and I, you know, I work with uh, Marshall, mm. and who's uh, he, he's right. not really a friend of the show yet, but he, I hope he will be. We're hoping to bring him on at some point. He is a musician. He does do do performances, that, you know, downtown at the local yeah. handlebar, and he, you know, so he's a paid musician. He edits. He plays multiple instruments. Right. He writes, and I said. All Outcast is good. I don't care what anybody says about the speaker box and Love Below. I like it. He said, everybody likes the speaker box and Love Below. <laughs> I said, do they? And he said, maybe they didn't at first, but at some point people right. people come to their senses. 
the the disturbance in the force was this isn't what I'm used to with Outcast. Once you get right. past the speaker it's, box, it's it's a little the 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 unnerving part was that it was two like solo records put together. Correct. Right, and that um. Basically, when it came out, everyone was thinking, like, hmm, maybe Outkast aren't really on the same page anymore. Do you think? And then... <laughs> well, I, and I then don't even turned... know that they weren't on the same page right. as much... I mean, okay, yes, well, it... they're not on the same page, but in this case, it's not like they were enemies. Like, usually, right. like, when you hear about in The Clash, you have, you know... Yeah, it's not... The, the lead singer and the guitarist, or, like, guns, lead singer guitarist, uh, Mick Keith... They don't get along anymore, but they can still make music together, and right. eventually that doesn't make it. They still like each other. Yeah, no, it's not necessarily a thing. It's just two artists have two different... Completely um, different views. ...artistic visions right. and artistic ambitions, you know? And it totally works. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And on that record. Uh-huh. And, and, they, and on that record, they were just kind of at a point where, like, they didn't feel like their artistic... They felt like their artistic ambitions... Uh, were so different that they could just make it two different records. And it and worked. It worked. And it, I mean, it won them a Grammy. <laughs> right. Correct. Right? Yeah. Um, so. And uh, man, do I love I Like the Way You Move. Mm. It's so good. <laughs> Dude, the hook on that is off the chain. Mm. And, and Big Boy has a unique way of, uh, how do I put it? His work plays the best. Yeah, the thing about him that people forget is like he. Andre was the guy that was, he was like this maniac genius, right? Right. That just had all these ideas and all these, and Big Boy was kind of the guy that kind of condensed those ideas. You know how you'll say macro record, micro record? Mm -hmm. Andre is macro in that he includes the entire universe in what he's doing. Right. And he takes in all emotion and all things, Mm -hmm. and he speaks of them. Big Boy talks about what's going on right here, right now, right in front of me, what I've been through. Not what could be happening or what happens in space. You know what I mean? Right. It's so good. So good. Yeah. So what did I listen to this week? Um, I listened to some LCD sound system. You're high on LCD sound system recently. Yeah. Yeah, basically, I I listen to LCD Sound System. I really like LCD Sound System. I really like James Murphy. I think he's a really smart guy. Uh, I also listened a little bit to um, the JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown uh, collab album. Yeah, I, I I think it's I think it's quite good. Um, I when I, when I I listened to it when it dropped and it was a little over I was a little underwhelmed, but then it kind of it kind of crept up on me. And I realized the production is phenomenal. Yeah, and I feel like that was kind of my main thing. And I also, I just really like JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown just as rappers. Um, right. Danny Brown is just one of my favorites, period. We went to Revolver Records, 12th Avenue, Pensacola, Florida, inside of Jitterbugs. What did you purchase in there today? I purchased Silver Jew's American Water. Did you like it? Um, I do like that record. I like that record a lot. By the way, rest in peace, uh, David Berman, um, the frontman songwriter of Silver Jew's. Mm-hmm. Um, he passed away recently, and um, also Tina yeah. Turner passed away this week. Tina Turner did pass away. The queen of rock and soul, mm-hmm. tremendous story. If you don't know of Tina Turner, while you're looking that up, if you don't know of Tina Turner, there is a movie called What's Love Got to Do with It. It tells her story brilliantly. There is a documentary on HBO right now. Right now, it is the first thing you see when you pull up Max. It tells her story brilliantly. 
It is amazing. Even before her 83 comeback, the greatest or most famous artists in the world at the time, your David Boys, your Rod Stewart, your Mick Jaggers, would go to her for both advice and bring her up on stage whenever she was around them. And that would always continue because she was a force of nature. Mm. She, oddly enough, people didn't want to touch her when she left her husband who had been beating her up and the abuse is well documented she discusses mm. it openly throughout her time post that experience the Ike post Ike Turner people don't want to touch her they think you know she's what they don't want what she's got they try to recreate her as a Vegas style act things like that and she constantly told them she was a rock singer and they couldn't turn her into something else and then she eventually finds the right producer and they find the correct way of packaging her voice with Private Dancer with What's mm -hmm. Love Got to Do With It and she becomes as famous as anybody in the world for mm. two to three years and then she continues to have hits on up and you know for 20 more years. Absolutely. Now um, go back to, I'm sorry. So uh, go back to the Silver Dews record. Mm -hmm. um, I. I'm just looking at this track listing. This really is one of my uh, uh, one one of my favorite singer songwriter records. Yeah, if if you haven't listened to Silver Juice, please do yourself a favor and listen specifically to this record, American Water. Um, I do believe it's um, has some one of the best uh, written uh, singer songwriter records, not just of the '90s, but probably of all time. Yeah, really consistent, really catchy, really pulls at your heartstrings at points. Uh, the opening one-two punch of Random Rules in Smith & Jones Forever is very nice. Funnily enough, Honk If You're Lonely uh, will always stick out to me when I think of this record. And just a, just a very, just an incredible tune. Cool. Is that a rap? I believe that's a rap. I scored Combat Rock. You did. Which is the first... And you talked about it with El 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 Eris. El Elvis or Eric. Either one you want to call him. And <laughs> he, uh, he did know a great deal. It was funny because I... A lot of people, clash purists, people mm -hmm. that punk purists, feel like combat rock is kind of where they got off the punk bus. I felt like it was them taking a little bit of a different direction on some of the tracks. Right. But really it was more of, to me, it was more of different people wrote some of the songs. Like mm -hmm. the drummer writes... Uh, Topper, the drummer, writes Rock the Casbah. Mm -hmm. You know, there's another track on there written by the, the bass player. You have Should I Stay or Should I Go? You know, Mick, Mick writes to sing beautifully on. It's my first, because it came out when I was 12, it was my first introduction to them. Mm. They had a video. Video was a thing that had not been before, you know, kind of, but they had a video. I saw Rock the Casbah. It was kind of crazy. Mm. The song is so good, it's so catchy, and then of course, Should I Stay or Should I Go is right in there too. So that was my introduction to them. Then I go back and find it. So I didn't have the uh, hurdle of having loved the right. original punk band. Neither did anybody else in America, by the way, just for the record, because that first record wasn't released in America mm. until after the second one, which is not as punk of an album. So don't let them fool you, Ray. Shout out to Elvis for feeding us that bit of information. Those, thank you, Elvis, for those 60-year-olds that are trying to tell you different. They misremember. 
Is that a wrap? <laughs> yes, that is a wrap. Cool. Um, this is me, Ray, signing off. On Ray's Music Reviews. On Ray's Music Reviews. Production of Go Home Heat. 2023. And check out our friends at the Game Project. Check out our friends at Data Smart if you like pro wrestling. If not, listen to music. Right. Go home.